Welcome to the Wealth Matters Podcast, where investors come together to better understand how to build passive cash flow and create generational wealth without all the confusing mumbo jumbo. Here's your host and co-author of Amazon number one bestseller, Alpesh Pamar. Welcome to Wealth Matters Podcast. I am going to talk to a friend, Jerome Myers. He's amazing, by the way. If you don't, if you are not following him on LinkedIn, I would highly recommend you guys to follow him because that's how I found him. And since that, I follow his post, Logan Freeman's post, and they they put out a lot of entertaining as well as educational content. Jerome is someone who left corporate America because he realized that. He had many accomplishments, but he had not gained any significance because he was leading a centered life. So he moved on to real estate. Now he's a real estate coach, leadership coach, and he's going to share his journey with us. So welcome, Jerome. Glad to be here with you, man. Thanks for making a little bit of time for me to come hang out with you today. Absolutely, brother. Let's get started. Tell us something interesting or funny about yourself. Oh, I don't know that it's all that interesting, <laughs> but one of my favorite things to do is to go in wild caves when I go to the Caribbean and Central America. I, I really like to explore those caverns that typically get created by water. Oh, that's interesting. I have not tried that. <laughs> the only caves I've been to is it's by San Marcos, San Antonio. I don't know if you know. <laughs> those are not the water caves. So that, that's interesting. Hey, so we want to talk about your journey, but why? Um, I'm pretty sure from corporate America, you could have gone to any other, uh, you know, I would say any other asset type or investments. Why choose real estate? Yeah, it's funny. I was sitting on the stoop when I was a sophomore in college with my buddy Duran, and we started doing a little bit of math because that's what engineering students do in their free time. Of course. Time. <laughs> I was paying three ninety five. I had two roommates paying three ninety five. Same thing was happening downstairs in his apartment, and we multiplied it across the complex. The guy that owned the thing was making seven hundred thousand dollars a year, but we never saw him or talked to him. It's like, oh. oh, wait, how does that work? And then it's like, do we need seven hundred, or can we get okay with seventy? And so we're like, man, there's got to be a way to get this done. <laughs> the only problem was I'm the son of a soldier and a stay at home mom. Nobody with a multi-million dollar portfolio was coming to the cookout. And so I had no idea how to get into the space. And so I did what you're taught to do. I went and followed the American dream and ventured off into corporate America. But when I decided to leave, I realized that I put that dream on the shelf and I wanted to come back and pick it up and see if there was something we could do with it now that I was a little older, had a better network and maybe a little wiser. Yeah. <laughs> so... So you went to corporate America. Can you share your journey of going from corporate America to becoming a real estate investor? Oh man, uh, it was terrible. It was brutal. <laughs> <laughs> I think you are putting we, it too mildly, man. <laughs> well, you know, I think a lot of people feel like it's all unicorns and rainbows. Yes, it's me, all it rosy, right? That's what we think. Yeah, <laughs> I it, it was a, it was a struggle. So. First off, I didn't know what I was doing, right? Mm -hmm. I started listening to podcasts, looked at some videos on YouTube. And so I went and got my deal off LootNet, took it to the bank, told them, hey, give me a million dollars so I can go buy this thing. And they said, no. And I said, what do you mean? No, everybody wants to lend to me. I've got an 800 credit score and I got cash in the bank. Right. I said, yeah, but 
that doesn't matter. I said, well, what do you mean it doesn't matter? And so they said, do you have experience doing this? And he said, well, I just ran a $20 million division of a Fortune 550 that I took from zero to 20 million. Doesn't matter. Yeah, that, that's not the same thing. <laughs> I said, well, I got an engineering license and I got an MBA. Does that work? And he said, no. <laughs> and so I was like, you know what? You guys are being outrageous. Everybody <laughs> wants to lend to me. I'm going to go to the next bank. And Alpes, I did that nine times. And really? they all told me the same thing. And so it was at that point I realized I was not getting ready to buy an apartment building fresh out of my corporate America dropout with no backup plan. Right. And so I pivoted and I started fixing and flipping. And then as I was sitting on the stoop of my $90,000 rehab project, a guy pulls up in a white Dodge Ram. He hops out. He says, hey, buddy, I want to check out your finishes. We're getting ready to do a project down the street. I uh -huh. said, okay, come on in. I'm proud, right? Because he wanted to see my project. Right. And he's like, oh, you tucked the wall out. And ooh, that, that granite, what is that, level five, level six? And you got the gooseneck sink going. And we go upstairs. He looks at the tile in the bathroom. He's like, man, it's pretty good work. So he's getting ready to walk out the front door after we come back downstairs. And he stops in the threshold. He looks at me. He says, hey, man, do you know anything about that building behind the Chimbo Mart? I said, the Chimbo Mart? Yeah. The 23-unit apartment building? He said, yep. Said, yeah, man, I tried to buy that a few months back. He said, uh, what are you going to, what do you mean try to buy it? I said, I tried to buy it, but the banks wouldn't lend to me. He said, oh, okay, <laughs> well, I'm going to make an offer on it later today. I said, you are? He said, yep. He said, so you're the guy I've been looking for. The banks told me I need an experienced partner, somebody who'd done this before. You're not making an offer if you haven't done this before. He said, well, we own a few things. So don't leave me out of the deal, man. Like, I, I've been looking for you. He said, what are you going to bring to the table? I said, look, man, I don't know, but I know you're the guy I've been looking for. Don't leave me out of the deal. Said, yeah, Jerome, I get that, but what are you going to bring to the table? I said, man, listen, I don't know. What I know is the bank's told me I need an experienced partner. You're an experienced partner. Don't leave me out of this deal because you're, you're, you're going to get me in space. And he asked me one more time, and I still didn't answer his question. He got frustrated, shook his head walked down the stairs, through the grass, hopped in his truck, and drove off. And in my mind, this was a Wednesday. I was like, all right, so tomorrow he's going to call me and tell me he's got the deal. Thursday came and went. Friday came and went. I was like, oh, man, they're just negotiating through the weekend. He'll call me on Monday. Monday came and went. And now it's Thursday of the following week, and I haven't yeah, got a phone call. it's been a call. week, huh? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know what's going on here. Then I, I'm sitting there in the same spot where uh, he – jumped out of his truck and asked if he could see the house. And I realized I didn't get his phone number, nor did I give him mine. Oh, nice. <laughs> Perfect, right? So then we we go a little bit further and we're into the next week. And I, at that point, I kind of gave up hope. And he's, I get a phone call on Tuesday and says, hey, man, got opportunity to be a general contractor on that project you and I talked about four or five months ago. Uh, I told them I was only interested in doing it if you were part of the deal. Whoa. Nice. When are we meeting and where? Oh, tomorrow morning at nine. Send me to address them there. And so the three of us started down the journey. And then the broker rolled in his commission. And then a property manager put in some cash. And the five of us bought this 23 unit apartment building for $1.27 million. And 
I was fortunate enough to be asset manager. And everything changed when my name was in the paper as asset manager of a big construction project like we had. Because yes. we had a really, really large uh, budget there. And that really set me on the journey, man. It wasn't any of my doing. It was seeds that were planted in the past that came up at a time where I was desperate for help. And I didn't even know who to ask for help. And I didn't even know what the next step was actually going to be in the process. I was just doing what I could with what I had until I got to the space where I actually wanted to end up. And I tell that story, Alpish, because I think a lot of people who listen to podcasts are early on in their journey. And if you can't articulate your value, what are you actually going to do when the opportunity presents itself to partner with somebody on a deal? Oh, I missed a, that opportunity. That was my fault. That's a great story, though. Thank you for sharing. And I, what it shows, though, that you wanted to do this. You were desperate for it. You, you didn't give up when they told you that yeah, you are not going to get this, um, you know, mortgage or whatever. You were, you, st you, you went and pivoted and at least started doing fix and flip. If you hadn't done anything, and if that guy did not show up to look at your flip, this wouldn't have. You wouldn't be here, right? So, so you continued. You, you took. A, you figured out a different path, and you, you made sure that you are there, right? That's that's the key. A lot of time when we hear no, we just give up. Like we are like, okay, this is not for me. Looks like I, I can't do it, or I'm. So it, it's great that you continued. So that was that your first deal. That was the first apartment. Deal. Okay, how did that deal work out for you? It's crazy. We're getting ready to exit. So we bought at about 55,000 a door and we'll exit north of 165 a door. No way. Yeah. And how long ago was that? We closed in November of 2017. Nice. Average rents there were $695 and we rent stuff at about $1295 now. Nice, man. Of course. So, so you almost doubled the rent as well as the cap rates have compressed. So, of course, the value has gone up significantly and i uh, that reminds me because when you were talking about all this it's reminded me my story when i went to like six banks and they all said no and i closed on my first nine unit apartment building in december of 2017 and i nice. still own it <laughs> and we yeah we took it from i think 525 rent to right now uh, 725 and I still nice. own it myself and I'm not going to sell, but, but I was just thinking about that story that I went through the exact same thing. <laughs> right, 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 right. No, this is great. So what are some of the lessons you have learned while investing in real estate? Like since 2017, you have grown significantly. You have a coaching and mentorship club. You have a lot of people invest with you. What are some of the hard hitting lessons? Yeah, I, I think the first thing I would say, man, is, uh, the banks are smart. <laughs> I thought they were dumb, man, after that 2006, no, no, 2007 no, no. fiasco. <laughs> no, no, no. They're, they are very smart. You know, had they lent me that money, I would have absolutely went bankrupt and uh, lost that project and derailed. Underestimated the construction budget, made a bunch of mistakes along the way. But here's the thing, man. This game's a, it's a, it's a team sport. And yes, absolutely. Got to have the right people on your team. 100%. And anybody who suggests to you that you can do this business without capital is setting uh, you up for failure. Yep. 
up. <laughs> right? I agree. And there's for the smaller properties, for the and the smaller older properties, they are like wild animals. You don't know exactly what you're going to get until after you close and you take ownership of it. And I think most people think, oh, this is super predictable. No, this isn't your your run of the mill house cat. You could have a tiger by the tail and not know it based on what you see when you go through for due diligence. And I think a lot of people are so focused on getting the clothes that they're not actually considering the situation that they're going to be in post-close and the issues that they're going to have to deal with. And so from my perspective, having access to capital and having experienced people around you when you do these deals is of the utmost importance. So that's a great analogy, wild animal, right? <laughs> I, I think it, it totally makes sense. So one, yes, you don't know what uh, post-close, because a lot of time you get emotionally attached to that property, right? As soon as you see it, then, and I, I already did that for my very first investment in 2015, where I'm like, oh yeah, the numbers look great. I'm going to buy it no matter what. I'm not going to do any due diligence. And I, I fall flat. I got my, you know, backhanded to me. <laughs> so that that's one thing. And, and, and second, you are not prepared what could come, right? So from capital side, if you are not prepared, again, you'll be in big trouble. So thank you for sharing those. What has been your best real estate deal so far? You know, that's interesting. How, how do you quantify best, right? Is it the most lessons you learned? Is it the most money you've made? Is it the deal you bought with the most equity? I There's so many different ways you can quantify it, right? I, if I had to pick one without you telling me which metric to use to say is my best deal, I would tell you it's the first one that I wrote a contract on. And I bought two properties off of an owner here in Greensboro when I, I sent out letters via direct mail. And so I, I get in with Rob and Lee and we start having these conversations and I'm able to negotiate to what I consider to be a really, really solid price. And then I just learned so much on the backside of closing on those properties. When I thought I actually knew what I was doing, I found out how much I didn't. And a great example of that, man, is just, I modeled the taxes on an $800,000 piece of property, it costs a little more than that, but for round numbers, at $1,000 a year. It's just <laughs> wrong. It was so wrong. And so, you know, I'm living with that in my performa, and, you know, it's changing the valuation on the deal by, right. you know, $200,000, $300,000 a year. Yeah, no, I, I, I can relate to it as well, because I know when when you're buying from someone and that person had paid like 100 grand and you're buying it for 800 grand, I go to the you know tax side and I make sure, oh, yeah, he's only paying a grand. <laughs> then it gets sold. Your taxes are now eight grand or 10 grand a year and it Boom. changes all your yeah, performa. I, I agree. <laughs> yeah, so. What, has there been a worse deal or the deal you didn't like at all? Or maybe you, 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 you made a lot of mistakes during that deal? Man, so one of the things that we started doing was wholesaling properties, multifamily properties, the smaller ones that we don't like. And I'll tell you, man, we bought one. It was a collection of 
three contiguous lots with five units on it. Okay. And we were like, man, we're just going to flip in this. It's a 90-day thing in and out. Hopefully, we could do it quicker. And two years later, I still own that stinking property, man. Oh. I haven't been able to exit it. And I, it frustrates me, right? Because yep. that was one of those things. It didn't fit in our buy criteria. We were just looking to purchase it and make a quick turn. And it just did not work out the way we expected it to. We had multiple buyers come in and they weren't able to perform and it, it just became a mess. And so what I, what I learned in that was you need to do what you do, right? Trying yes. to do everything just results in a headache for you and something that you can't actually devote time to. And when you get good at something, you can do that over and over again and make real money instead of have something dragging your income down. So that yes. that one is one that I, I learned a lot on. And when people get frustrated with me, when they say, hey, Jerome, what do you buy? What markets are you in? I buy one market. I buy one city, right? And I buy, I, I really like townhomes. If I can buy townhome communities, I'm, I'm really happy about that. And people are like, oh man, you're never gonna do deals. And I'm like, well, I've been all over the place and I know what that results in. So I, I'd rather know what I'm doing versus goofing off and just trying to find a deal so I can say I closed the transaction. Now that's that's a great, great advice, right? Focus on what you are good at. And at least yeah. then, then you can transfer all your energy. You can set up processes around it. You can automate a lot because you exactly know what needs to be done, right? Oh, this is great. Hey, so you mentioned this was going to be my next question. Which real estate market are you focusing, focused on and why? Apish, I can't tell anybody that. I think I'm going to get all my deals. <laughs> no, I'm, no, I'm, I'm looking at the, all the markets right now. So I need to know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So we buy Greensboro, North Carolina. Okay, that, that's it, huh? And, that's and, it. Uh, and no multifamily, mostly townhomes? And, and why is well, that? Well, so the, the multifamily properties that we buy are usually townhome configuration and so ah. there'll be one lot where you've got a number of residences on that one lot they were built so this is the whole build to rent concept yes that a lot of people are excited about but got it was it. prevalent in the 60s 70s and 80s oh so they were prevalent in 60s 70s and 80s over there oh interesting so uh, can you um so you try to buy those kind of communities uh, communities, and can you um, sell them by townhouse if need to, or, or they are still just on one parcel and you can uh, separate them out? So the stuff that we've purchased today have always been on one parcel for all of the units. Uh, you can resurvey and parcel it out, but it, for us, our exit strategy is to sell the whole kit and caboodle. We think aggregation of doors is more valuable than dividing them into small pieces and trying to condo it out. Yeah, and it's it's a more headache now than you need to put HOA in and all those kind of deal, right? Hey, so um, I know you have you have been hiding your crystal ball behind you. So if you can mm -hmm. take that out and tell mm -hmm. us what's going to happen with the real estate and stock market and all that, because it's been, it's been ridiculous last three, four years. And, and with COVID just, um, you know, helped a lot of uh, real estate investors. So what do you think will happen <laughs> in the near future? I've been wrong in every COVID prediction. Yeah, right? me too. <laughs> so COVID was going to be over in two weeks. 
Yes. We went and, uh, this will be I, over by uh, Easter. <laughs> then it was, all right, it'll be over by the summer. It'll just burn off. And it just keeps going. Man. And I'm, I'm like, like, I'm going right, to get tons of real estate deals. And real estate continued to go <laughs> going up. <laughs> With that said, though, um, owners who haven't been able to collect their rents and haven't been successful at evicting, I think are in trouble if they weren't property capitalized. And so there are some people who are going to be selling their properties at a discount because they need to get out because the cash flow isn't where it needs to be in order for them to be successful with that investment. There are also owners who have a tremendous amount of their net worth tied up in the property. And if it's not flowing anymore, then they need to liquidate so that they can harvest that equity to continue to live. So I think we are in the middle of that. And if you can catch an owner at the right time, you will be able to buy deals off market that uh, most other folks aren't paying attention to. Oh, I think that makes sense. And um, I'm hoping that that comes up right soon. I'm, I'm trying to buy more, but it's just the cap rates still continue to compress. And most of the suburban markets have been just going crazy because everyone wants to move to a, you know, less crowded space, right? A bigger house or bigger, um, uh, you know, uh, apartments or whatnot. So, so looking forward, I'm hoping that this you know, rising interest rate will, you know, keep all of us in check. <laughs> now, this was great. Let's take a quick break. And after the break, we'll go through the same five questions I ask every guest. Awesome. You're listening to the Wealth Matters Podcast. The Wealth Matters Podcast. For more info about what we do, check us out at wealthmatters.com. It's wealth, W-E-A-L-T-H, matters, M-A-T-R-S.com. Welcome back to Wealth Matters Podcast. My brother, Jerome, shared a lot of golden nuggets today. I thoroughly enjoyed the episode. Jerome, are you ready for fire round? Man, I'm ready. Let's do it. Okay. Would you be changing any business or investment strategy after this pandemic is over? Maybe in next two weeks, two years? <laughs> I don't know that it's ever going to end, but you know, I, I found out something really interesting, man. We, we've had over a hundred thousand dollars in delinquencies across our portfolio that was related to COVID. Mm -hmm. And so the ability to get that money varies by the state and the market that you invest yes, in. Yes, I learned it hard way too. <laughs> and so one of the things that I'm questioning is, should I be investing in North Carolina? Uh -huh. If I was investing in Virginia still, I would be able to levy and garnish wages in order to get my money. Hmm. In North Carolina, that's not a fact we we're not able to do that so we can get a judgment they can report on their credit but as far as forcing them to pay us off of their earned income that's not something that we can do and so i'm asking questions like that right because at the end of the day if somebody takes control of my assets which is what we believe that the government did yes. and they said you can't evict and all the other things oh, that went with man. that I need to make sure that the person who is squatting in my units mm -hmm. is on the hook for actually paying what they owe instead of just being able to walk away. So that is a question is where is 
the community or the environment most conducive to the landlord versus to the resident? That's a great point. So yeah, that's why I living in San Francisco Bay Area, I don't invest in California because it's they, they, it's, a, it's a Republic of California, right? They're 100% tenant friendly. I can't evict someone for a year. <laughs> so well, no, no, I, I'm always now looking at well, wherever I'm trying to invest has to be landlord friendly. And I, someone taught me one more thing that it's just not the state. Even the municipality or locality has to be landlord friendly. So that was something new I learned. So it's not just overall state. You also got to be careful and look at the macro level. So uh, thank you for bringing that up. Favorite real estate or finance or maybe business book? Business book. Um, this one changed the game for me in 2020. It's called Sizing People Up by Robin Drake. Hmm. And it's all about the, the lesson that I learned in that book was just because you like somebody doesn't mean that you should trust them. Trust and like are not the exact same thing. So a lot of people talk about the no like and trust funnel or no like and trust continuum or whatever you want to call it. There is a difference between liking and trusting. And I always thought those two things were the same thing. Trust is, do I have the ability to predict what this person's going to do in a given situation? If I do, then it's likely that you can trust them because you can predict the outcome. If you cannot, predict the outcome, then trusting them is probably a, a poor decision. And so that and a bunch of other things is in that book. And it was transformational for me because I aggressively expanded my network in 2020. And I needed to be able to filter through the people and know who I was wanted to deepen my relationships with and who could stay on the periphery. So after about 200 plus episodes, I heard about a new book, which I have not heard about. Uh, so thank you, because uh, I have read most of the books or heard about them. Uh, and I have the exact same issue even now that I, I didn't know that there is a difference between like and trust. So I'm ordering that book right now, because <laughs> I got, to, well I got to read for sure. <laughs> mm -hmm. I have made so many mistakes because as soon as I like someone, I'm like, oh yeah, he's trustable. It, yep. it makes sense now. <laughs> Any tool or website you recommend or cannot live without? Ooh, Calendly is my game, yes. right? If I, I can't imagine how many hours somebody would spend managing my calendar because I can't afford to do it right. uh, if I didn't have Calendly. But Calendly makes life really easy for me. Any advice for beginner investors? Get education. My portfolio would probably be five to 10 times larger than what it is today had I made the investment in education and mentorship early on. I chose not to do that. I went through the school of hard knocks and I probably paid more in mistakes by doing that than I would have ever spent trying to get the firm footing. And I think the other thing I did was I, I significantly devalue my time because with education, you can collapse time frames to get to the outcome. I was the guy that was listening to 40 hours of content on a weekly basis, trying to get my master's degree in apartment investing from the school <laughs> of hard knocks. And it's just ludicrous. There's, there's a repeatable process yes. that you can follow 
and get predictable results. But you're not going to get that from listening to podcasts because everybody that comes on is going to have a different perspective. And all that typically does is confuse a person. That's a great advice. How do you give back? It's the stuff like this, man. I, I listened to 40 hours of content for multiple years and, you know, had folks not been kind enough to come on and share their journey, then I wouldn't have been able to get the education that I did get. But because they shared in this way, I, I, I benefited from it. And so I'm always honored when I get the opportunity to come on and share with amazing hosts like you and hopefully add some value to their community. And, you know, we do other things too, man. We, we've got a, a course that's 11 weeks for people who want to take that thing to the next level, get an end-to-end system that allows them to have more confidence when they go into the marketplace to do a deal. And, you know, there's meetups and a bunch of other things, but being able to share my experience with people unfiltered, right? You, you hear me talk about the mistakes I made. You don't hear me beating my chest talking about door cows or asset under management. Nope. That stuff doesn't matter. What does matter is the mistakes that I made, because if I make them and I tell you about them, hopefully you won't make the same one. Exactly. That's why we share our experiences. No, thank you. How can my listeners reach out to you? Yeah, man, the best place to go is JeromeMyers.co. There you can pick the rabbit hole that you want to go down and find out more about the red pill and a bunch of other stuff we have going on. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for your time. It's awesome for the opportunity, man. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to the Wealth Matters podcast. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes so others can enjoy the show too. Have a great week and happy investing.